Hello, welcome to the Lewisburg United Methodist Church podcast. Thanks for joining us today. For sermon notes and videos related to this message, please visit lwbumc.com. Good morning. Our scripture today comes from Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show us the immeasurable riches riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way way of life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may the meditation of all our hearts together in this place be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock. And you are a redeemer. Amen. There was a farmer who had experienced several bad years. And he went to see the manager at his bank. And he told the manager, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. He said, well, give me the bad news first. He said, well, you know, because of drought and inflation... I'm not going to make a payment this year on the principal or the the interest of the farm loan. The banker said, that's really bad. He says, well, it gets worse. You know the loan I have on the machinery that I bought to run the farm? I'm not going to make any payment on the principal or the interest. He said, that's really bad. He said, well, it gets worse. He said, you know how I float a loan every year to plant my crops for fertilizer and seed? I'm not going to be able to make a payment on the principal or the interest. The banker said, that's just about as bad as I can imagine. Tell me what the good news is. He says, well, the good news is, is that I intend to keep right on doing business with this bank. (laughs) Now, there's a profound theology in that little story, and it's this. The good news is that in spite of our total moral bankruptcy, God keeps right on doing business with us. All because of a thing called grace. Grace may be amused. It may be misunderstood. It may not be understood at all in any shape or form. But grace is grace and nothing, nothing in this world will ever change it. It is said by a number of theologians and preachers and and persons interested in the Holy Scriptures who have traveled the entire world, they say that Americans have more trouble with the understanding of grace than any other uh, culture or society on the face of the earth. The reason it is believed that Americans have more difficulty with grace is because of the heritage we have in the Protestant work ethic. The Protestant work ethic came along uh, many years ago in our country, and it it basically taught that if you work hard, you will succeed. 
And so that was impressed in so many families over the years that we still believe that everything you want to do successfully requires hard work. But here's the catch. When it comes to grace, there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. It is a gift of God. Isn't that what the Scripture said? Grace is a gift from God. Perhaps the real offense of the gospel is that we don't want to be saved. We would prefer sometimes to justify ourselves over allowing God to justify us. In other words, the light that we prefer to turn on is the light that we can switch on. You know, there is a real prison in the church today where people are trying to live their lives in such a way as to prove to themselves and to God, but mostly to themselves, that they're good enough to deserve God's grace and forgiveness. Or perhaps we try to convince ourselves that grace and forgiveness is like God overlooking our sins, and that we can use our good works to bridge, to build a bridge over our sinfulness. You know, you remember when the New River Gorge Bridge opened several years ago? And we drove across that bridge, and we thought, man, this is so nice, because if you ever drove the alternate route, you knew it took an hour to an hour and a half longer. But you're across the bridge in, in a minute. And I remember that when my cousin Martha gave me tickets uh, to ride the train from Huntington to Hinton, and I remember on that train you could look up and you could see that bridge. That's the first time I'd seen it from the railroad tracks that far down. And I thought to myself, this is a vast gorge right here. My friends, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, that's how vast our own shortcomings and failures are in this world. And God has built a bridge over that gorge in our lives, and it's called grace. Grace. Grace allows us to know that God loves us beyond a shadow of a doubt. There are times that it's easy to forget this, but today, in light of this passage of Scripture, let us all revisit the reality that our salvation, our hope in God is a gift. Many Christians continue to enjoy the real meaning of grace for about 6 to 12 months after they come to the place of conversion in their life. And yes, I do believe in conversion. I do believe that we come to this place in our lives that we know there needs to be a change and we can't make it on our own. And that we can't absolve for the sins that we've done and so we have to ask God to forgive us. And when we come to that place in our lives, we realize that he brings us into a relationship, a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But you give us a little bit of time in the church, and we sing a few hymns and say a few prayers and attend a few Sunday school classes, and we get to feeling pretty good about ourselves. And we think, man, I got this under control. But we don't. We don't. We still need God's grace every day. And it's a dangerous thing to be tempted to somehow think that we are somehow just a little bit better than somebody else. Grace means that we can't earn it or deserve it. Grace and grace alone will always be the basis of our relationship with God. Those words in Ephesians 2.8 are so true. Those words are true for the vilest and most degraded sinner, and they're equally true for the shiniest saint. Now, you know... <clears throat> Over the years, I've had many times where I've had an opportunity to talk to parents and grandparents about children and grandchildren. They'll come into my office and they'll sit down and they'll tell me a story that's pretty sad. 
But here's the thing. No matter what that child or grandchild has done, no matter how much they've gotten off track in their life, that parent loves that child. That's grace. That's what God has for us. Grace. It doesn't matter what we've been and what we've done. Now, God doesn't love what we've done or God doesn't love what we've been, but God loves us because of God's grace. But the, the dangerous thing is, is that in the church, we've hung a price tag on salvation. We call it discipleship. You see, discipleship is the process of growing in our faith, of learning what it means to, to represent Jesus Christ in this world. And I must confess to you, that there have been times in my life where I've confused salvation and discipleship. They are not the same thing, my friends. To preach the gospel is to proclaim that God's salvation should no longer be uh, concealed in our lives. Grace informs people that their salvation is accomplished for them already. The work of saving our souls is already done in Jesus Christ. It's complete. All we have to do is, like on Christmas morning, open it as a gift and welcome it into our lives. <laughs> I want to tell you a couple stories today that have happened to me over the years. I went to school at Tech uh, in Montgomery before it moved up to Beckley. And uh, you remember I told you last Sunday I didn't like to tell people I was a preacher because people treat you different, and I didn't want to be treated different. So I tried to conceal it the best I could while I was a student at Tech. But it's hard to conceal it. It gets out. And so one day I'm sitting in the library in the lobby, getting ready to go into a class. And some other students start walking up and sitting down in that area, and they, they start talking. And this, these, this one young woman and this gentleman, and they were both had very uh, interesting personalities. But the one looked over at me, the woman said, she said, you're a preacher. I said, will you tell him that I am not going to go to hell just because I cuss? <laughs> now, what do you say to that? <laughs> that little experience in my life confirmed even more so that people have decided that their salvation is dependent upon how they live their lives. And that's not what the Scripture said this morning. The Scripture said this morning that our salvation is based on grace. We are saved by grace. Saved for the purpose of representing Christ in this world and doing good work. So here's my question. and I, wanna, I, wanna, I wrote it down because I want to make sure I state it just exactly right. Is it possible for a person to be a Christian and not be a disciple? No. The answer to that question is no. It's not possible. You are a Christian. You are a disciple. But I want to say this. It is possible for a person to be a Christian and be a very pitiful disciple. Are you with me? Do you believe that? Okay. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here because I think that the reality of understanding grace has gotten swept out the door of the church. And we need to sweep it back in. There's not a single one of us any better than anybody else 
The grace, the amount of grace it took to save your soul and my soul is equal around this place. Boy, it took a lot of grace to save Tyler over here. It took a lot of grace to save Bev. Man, you, you ought to live with her for a while. You, you know, we, we want to say stuff like that, and it's not true. The fact of the matter is, if we get to feeling that way, it probably took more for us than we imagined. There, the truth of the matter is that in my life there have been times where my faith has been in place, but I have lived as a very pitiful disciple. But we have, we have embraced a, a, an understanding of salvation that kind of mimics the old uh, car rental company called Avis. Do you remember Avis car rentals? Remember what their motto was? We try harder. We think that if we just keep trying harder and harder, God will save us. I'm going to make a little confession to you. When I was 15 and 16 years old, when I'd go up to my bedroom at night and lay in bed, and you know that time before you fall off to sleep at night, maybe you're saying your prayers, maybe you're thinking about what happened to the day. I can tell you what I did for a long time at the age of 15 and 16 years old. I'd say, God, save my soul. I wanted to know, I wanted to know that God would save my soul. And I must have prayed that prayer maybe hundreds of nights. John believed that grace and the assurance of grace is a gift. I can't tell you how many people have come in my office over 39 years and said, I'm not a Christian because of something I've done. And one of my best friends in high school, he and I used to get into this debate all the time about once in grace, always in grace. You know that theology? Once in grace, always in grace. Who knows that theology? Once in grace, thank you. It's a Baptist theology. My secretary for 16 years in Huntington was a Baptist, and she used to say to me, Miss Betty Crouch, she used to say to me, if the Baptists could be a little bit more like the Methodist, and the Methodists could be a little bit more like the Baptists, we'd have one good denomination. <laughs> the idea was that God's grace is so powerful that it has a stronger hold on us than we have on God. David, Woz, David Lowe's Watson, who taught disciple Bible study for many years, said that this is exactly what covenant theology was in the Old Testament. A covenant in the Old Testament said that God enters into an agreement with his people that is so strong and so binding that it cannot be broken. That doesn't mean that we don't have free will. We certainly have free will to choose God or to reject God. But here's the good news, my friends. God's hold on us is stronger than our hold on God. Do you believe that? We must believe that in order to come to the place that John Wesley says, it is assurance. When John Wesley walked into the church at Aldersgate, 
and he heard them reading from the book of Romans, the place where it says, and the just shall live by faith, he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed, and I knew that Christ had saved me. People come to the Lord's table, and they will say to me, as they go out the door of the church, I did not take communion today because I did not feel worthy of it. Oh, my friends, if that is you or that is me today, that is the moment when we most need the communion with God. It is because we are unworthy that we come to the table of the Lord and confess our sins and receive this sacrament and acknowledge that we are saved by grace. Our failure does not change the outpouring of God's grace in our lives, and failure will never take away the gift of God's salvation. My friends, there was a seminary student many years ago who had problems with his teenage daughter. It says he was rebelling, uh, she was rebelling against her father's call to ministry. She had changed her lifestyle, her clothes, her hair, her friends, her language, and her habits. Ted, the seminary student, began to resent his daughter. Ted also asked God how he could let this happen to him when his family had sacrificed so much to enter into the ministry. Ted went to visit a friend of his who counseled him, and the friend suggested that God did not cause this, but it might be an opportunity for Ted to learn about grace. In spite of his daughter's rebellion and rejection, and by the way, I, I don't know that this has ever happened to you, but I, I, I just want to say this. I thought this would never happen to me. And by the way, if you ever say, that will never happen in my family and in my life, you upset yourself up. Okay? You don't know what it means to be a parent until you hear your children say, I hate you. I thought that would never happen in my life. But it did. Ted began to reach out to his daughter and to love her unconditionally. And he began to see an amazing change in himself and in his daughter. And this is what he said. He said, I've studied about God's grace. I've believed it with all my heart. I've, seen, I've preached it. I've seen people wonderfully changed by it. But now I can see that it has mostly been in my head. Now God has allowed me to feel it. And now, because it's the only way God could shake grace loose from my head, because it needed to be lowered about 18 inches into my heart. It's only when grace is residing in our heart that we will truly understand the glorious reality. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you believe, would you say amen? amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch.
was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed, my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a promised good to me his word my hope secures here will my shield and portion be as long as life endures my chains are gone Thank you for listening to this teaching from the Lewisburg United Methodist Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, and podcasts, as well as who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website, lwbumc.com.